You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to episode 38 of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. As you can hear, my voice is a little bit croaky. I've been struggling the last couple of days, but I'm glad to bring it out and have it strong enough to record uh, this very special introduction uh, for a very special episode. As I'm sure you're aware, the British basketball community suffered a huge loss a couple of weeks ago um, when Jimmy Rogers of the Brixton Topcats um, tragically passed away. It's been very touching and moving um, to see the tributes that have been flooding in on the internet over the last couple of weeks and just seeing how many people he impacted and just how big his legacy is. Um, And on our part, I've been going through hard drives and trying to dig up uh, content that we have around him that we've done with him over the years, uh, one of which was an interview um, down at a Space Jam anniversary event in Brixton at House of Hoops Foot Locker in 2016, which we've published now on YouTube in full, which you can go and watch if you're interested. Um, but the second bigger part is this, it's this podcast. Um, he was one of the most requested guests that people asked for. And uh, as a result of that, I did actually do an interview with him. I believe it was in 2016. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure it was around 2016. Uh, I went down to Brixton Rec um, and we went into a cupboard in the sports centre and recorded uh, what ended up being about an hour and a half episode um, going into his life history, his life journey, um, the club, you know, players that have come through the programme, his philosophies um, and other various interesting tidbits from his life. And it was... Actually, at the time, I didn't think it was very good. Uh, I felt like I didn't do a very good job um, interviewing him. I thought that we went off on a lot of tangents and it wasn't very focused. And as a result, uh, and also the other thing was the audio wasn't very good. Um, We only had a single mic and we were sharing it between us and he kept on leaning away from the mic. And so at times his audio is very, very faint. Um, And so the plan was to get back down there and record another episode well, re-record the episode to release, uh, but it never ended up happening. Luckily, I saved that original interview, uh, which is what you're about to listen to. Um, We go for an hour and a half and and talk hoops, and I'm really pleased that I still have it, and we're allowed to, uh, well, we're able to release it to the public so that people can hear about his journey and his life in his own words, Um, and that is what is about to follow. I would love to hear your feedback. Um, As always, drop me an email, sam at hoopsfix.com, or you can reach me on all social media platforms at hoopsfix. Um, Likewise, If you do uh, enjoy it and you do think it's a story worth sharing, please do share it. Share it with your friends. um, Share it amongst the basketball community so more people can hear uh, his journey and his life um, to help spread his legacy far and wide. Anyway, uh, that is enough for me. Um, Here is the interview with me and Jimmy Rogers. The Hoops Fix Podcast. We are honoured to be here with the legend that is Jimmy Rogers. We're in the wreck. Uh, set the scene for you. We're in a, a storage cupboard at the moment, which is the quietest place we could find in the gym. Um, Jimmy, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, there's obviously a lot to cover with your wealth of experience. Um, I think the, the natural place to start is at the beginning. So, can you uh, share with us your first experience of basketball and how you first got into the game? Okay. Uh, 1952. I grew up in an orphanage in Newcastle-upon-Tyne and uh, at 11, 12 years of age I was introduced to the sport by the teacher and in those days in my school, which is uh, what could be called a selective comprehensive I guess, uh, the, the playground was on the roof, 
very safe, but it was on the roof. So my first introduction to basketball was on a roof in 1952. And I fell in love with it immediately, immediately. Um, there were three of us who were quite serious at the time. The other two were both better than me. One was a tall guy. Um, but we were good friends, and I fell in love with it from that day. What about basketball was it that you loved? Had you had experiences of other sports and kind of you compared it to the other sports, or, or was it just something unique about it? Football, I was... Uh, uh, a pretty robust centre forward, which is my personality. But the moment basketball entered my life, there was never a doubt as to what I wanted to do. I fascinated, and I still I can still remember it now uh, when we had the kids coming on a Wednesday and Friday here. Fascinated by this ball going into this into this target, which was ten foot tall. I was absolutely fascinated by it. You've got to remember in those days, not only was there no internet, there was no TV. But I was fascinated by it. A few years later, I can't remember when, the very first inkling, and I had no idea where basketball was from or anything, was uh, I saw in a Time magazine, the front of a Time magazine, which I found, uh, and on the front was a photocopy of Oscar Robertson. And that was the very first inkling I had that basketball was played outside Newcastle-upon-Tyne. Uh, and then it indeed was a global game. So, but from the day one, it was, I was just absolutely fascinated by it. Absolutely fascinated by it. And so what was, uh, what was basketball like back then? What was the kind of the state of play across, and, you know, not just Newcastle, but sort of the, sure. the rest of the UK? Do you remember your early, early memories sure. from it? Well, I was the only black kid around. Not the only kid playing basketball. I was the only black kid around. Not family, kid. I was an orphan. And there were... Um, the balls were <laughs> like a, a, the old soccer balls, there were panels and everything. Um, and you wore whatever you did. And most gyms or, or uh, arenas, for want of a loose word, were, were, uh, were, were by today's standards <laughs> extremely hazardous in terms of health and safety. Um, uh, there was nobody really knew much about the game understandable not in England I had a good PE teacher who was quite fascinated by it and we were at 12 13 we were beating everybody in the area up to 15 16 mainly because we were keen and, and there was an element of organization and it was oh it was years and years for years I was frustrated at every time I got selected to play for North of England, play for England, schoolboys, play for England, blah, blah, blah. And I'd go, I'm going to get some. And I never got coaching. It was only because I went to Germany that I actually started to get some coaching. And the first, my first coach, who was significant, was a man who was actually, an, a, is an icon in Turkey. He's dead now. And he couldn't speak English. His German was poor. And I couldn't speak any German. But we communicated from day, day one. And it was... He was unbelievable for me. So that's when I actually began to learn about how the game works. So what age was that the, that you went to Germany? Was, did you go to Germany for basketball? Soldier. No, Germany's a boy soldier. Earlier than that, <laughs> when I first joined the I was a boy soldier at 15. In those days, you didn't have, well, you didn't have gyms closed. And I used to go to the gym all night. And everyone thought I was stark raving bonkers. 
I was in heaven all night, and it was like every night, honestly. Uh, which is means it, to this day I'm still a late bird. I mean, I, I don't have sleep much, never have done. Um, and I was in heaven, just in the gym all night on me, just on me, Joe, night after night. I, I, I just, just grew. The more, the more I began to learn, and, and as no, but no one to show you. It's quite frustrating, quite difficult. But um, you know, I began to develop, and then, as I say, went to Germany and learned about organisation, about structure, and about taking care of yourself, etc., etc., etc. And I had seven very, very important years, very important years, where I, it was two hours every day, every day of my life for two hours, every day, Christmas Day, birth of my son, blah, 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 blah. Every day I was basketball, basketball, basketball. So I came back to England, um, finished in the army, and I went down to the local authority in Liverpool and said, my name's Jimmy Rogers, um, blah, 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 blah. But I played for the country. And they said, um, why do you want to teach these colored kids? That's the language they use in those days. And I was shocked. I just wanted to teach basketball. And uh, he said, why do you want to teach colored kids? And I'm, wow, what's that all about? Um, but I was living in Toxteth, which had a, a pretty bad name, similar to what Brixton later had, pretty bad name. And um, I started teaching some kids there um, in, in uh, Toxteth. What was interesting though, those 15 kids, 40 of them are still alive. One died tragically in, in the States. He died, just died, I don't know what happened, he died uh, tragically early. And the other 14 have all done really well with themselves. Really done well. Now at no stage then or since have I said, I'm going to take these kids off these streets. I'm going to make them blah, blah. No, no. I was just a passion for basketball. So I was always there for them. And, um, but those kids have all done remarkably well. Remarkably well. I mean, incredibly well. Some really, really well. In Toxteth. So what age were you when you come back from Germany? 26, to 26, 27 years of age. 26, 26, yeah. yeah. And so in Germany, what... what uh, level of basketball were you playing? Well, I was playing for the, I was playing for the, playing for the, the army, the British army team, uh, for obvious reasons, where you had facilities, if you're in the army and you had facilities all the time, they were easily the best team in the country at the time and didn't have the structure they have now. Um, and we had all these um, PTIs all over, all over the army and they'd meet together in all the shot and they'd win, the, they'd win everything because that's the way it was. And we were the very first team, the British Army was the very first team to go into Europe. And uh, I was also playing professionally then in Germany. And travelling around and seeing a lot of good players. A lot of good players. And I remember uh, we were drawn against a team from Belgium in our very first round. And I came back to England with the, the then coach of the Army team, who was a... Who was a Captain, I think. No, I can't remember. He can't remember his status, but uh, he was there because he was an officer or a, a non-commissioned officer, whatever. Nothing to do with his basketball. And uh, there was me and a guy called Tinsley, who were uh, still to this day great friends. He was from Plymouth, and uh, we'd seen a lot of the players playing in Europe. And this team had a guy who played with Will Chamberlain in college. <laughs> I mean, you know, another level. And I remember seeing, I said, oh, we've got no chance. They thought that was quite pessimistic, of course. Suffice to say, we got blown out of the water. 
but home and away. But that was the very first time we, uh, a team of Britain had played in Europe. Um, so, so that was interesting. That was really interesting. By now, I was taking a, a wider interest in the game and still quite frustrated about the lack of expertise, coaching expertise in, in England. It's really, really frustrating. Um, I don't put blame on any particular person. I was a bit narrow then in terms of it was only basketball. It was the only sport in the world. It was only later I learned that uh, the more you watch other sports and good athletes, the more you learn about your own sport. But at those days, very narrow, only basketball. And I could never understand the press. I could never understand why the press didn't like this game. I just, it didn't make sense to me. Um, didn't understand the politics, didn't understand the establishments. And, you know, what is now Sport England was been running since Dick Docked and always been cricket, tennis and, and, and rugby and still the same thing now. But So it was all very frustrating in that sense. What I did find significantly initially in Toxteth and then when I came down here, kids loved playing basketball. They loved it. Kids just loved and they got the same buzz that I did. The fascination with putting that ball in the basket. So when, when you come back to England, did, were you... Had you made the decision that you're just going to coach? Did you stop playing yourself then? I, st I stopped. I decided I was, I mean, I was a real basketball nut. But I made a decision to myself, A, that I was going to coach. No idea what was going to happen. No idea. And B, I was going to stop. When I, 66, I came back to England. 64, 65 is probably the best player in the country. 66, I was certainly the best guard. Um... I remember in 65, 66, there were about six, eight people could dunk a ball. And the others were all six foot eight white boys. <laughs> but it was no big deal. It was no big deal. It was just, you know, part of the thing. Um, but I decided to stop. And when I just announced one day, I'm playing. And no one believed me. Nobody believed I was going to stop. And I just stopped. I just stopped. Um, I didn't want to end up as a, oh, you used to be good, but now. I didn't want that. Uh, is that ego? I'm not, I'm not sure. You wanted to go out like MJ in, in the, no, when he left the balls? not so much that, not so much that. I mean, I had some success when I came back. Coached the Liverpool Police, they won the National Cup. Second year, I was back in England. I was a player, they said, join the police force. I said, no, no way. Make me the player coach. So they got, we got round and we won the National Championships. What was good about that, though, was these kids from Toxas got managed to come down to see this and they were quite surprised at my high, whatever you like, what's the word? High status, one of a better word, or popular status. I had. I was quite a popular player, I guess, in a sense. And they were really pleased with that. They were really pleased. So they got to see that. And then I just got into basketball. I got into coaching. And I never, Sam, I never in my wildest dreams believed I would have the pleasure and success. My success, I don't mean individual players. I don't mean winning championships. Just seeing kids coming through and getting on every, every two, three months. And this is a game, and you know this game. You can be, you can be up one minute and the next minute you're down for all sorts of reasons, all sorts of reasons. Decision go against you, um, the politics, the this, the that, the other. But all these kids from all over the world, I've got two of them now playing in Greece, earning silly money. One of them, another one playing, I've never dreamt of I could have heard, but great. And they just drop it. They seem to know when to drop you a line and it, it fills you up. And it's all of these. Um, year last Christmas, I was in Tesco's. In Tesco's just over the road there. This guy came up to me and said, do you remember me, Jimmy? 
And I said, no. And he's with his partner and he said, oh, this is my partner, Jimmy. And he said, uh, Jimmy, um, I was telling that you used to coach me basketball. Now, normally, if I don't remember them, it means they weren't very good. <laughs> this is me talking. So I thought, no, I don't need... And give you a name. No, no idea. And I said, how long were you there? She said, oh, it was only about eight months. I couldn't take you. You were too hard. So I said, well, why now? He said, whoa, but those lessons are now the lessons I'm, I'm, I'm applying in now. And he is. And this is amazing. He is one of the six foremost in the world, um, get, um, oh, what do they call it? Um, no, 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 no. Um, um, on, um, when they play games on the, on the internet, um, what do they call it? Oh, God. When they play games on the... Uh, the games they play on the internet, the... Oh, um, not console. You know, the, the, the game, stay, PlayStation? Oh, yeah, yeah. That kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. What do they call it? Like e-gaming? Or... Yeah, or, and he's one of the six in the world. He's all over the world. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I said, I hope you haven't forgotten you're from Brixton. He said, oh, no, I'm mentioning you all the time. I said, no, I didn't mean you. I meant, do you mention you're from Brixton? He said, oh, yes, I mentioned you and I said, oh, well, nothing to do with basketball. You know, they play PlayStation stuff, they play, they play games. I, I, I don't know what they call it. I don't yeah. know, I'm, I'm, I'm IT illiterate. <laughs> yeah, so that was him, yeah, yeah. So when, at this point when you were, when you were coaching, were you a full-time coach? Did you have another job or like oh, how? I had another job, I had another job. I'd, I realized that uh, in this country, um, and, and, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the other thing I remember, I recall from the early days. Sam, there's been some remarkable pioneers in basketball here who quit. I understand exactly why they quit. Domestic, financial, some really, really, really good people. Really good. Men and really good. Very good. Guy from over Leighton called... Oh, what, I can't remember his name. I can't remember his name now, but he... he, he um, Stop, stop, stop. He, uh, he, um, Lenny Williams, oh, Lenny Hoy. Brilliant basketball man, brilliant man. He just quit in the end. It broke my heart, so many of them. And I said, I'm not going to quit. Because e it is easy to quit. It's all so easy. Your wife, your partner, your, 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 your livelihood. It's, a, it's so easy. It's, you know, it's so easy. So from that point on, I became quite stubborn. My partner said to me, ooh, 15 years ago, I said to her, uh, one day we'll sit around the table with my three stepchildren and her. And I said, on oh, Christmas Day, <laughs> I said, I think I'm going to stop coaching basketball. And my oldest stepson said, no, please don't. You'll give me, you'll give my mother hell if you're not coaching basketball. That's the way they saw it. So, you know, that was, there was all of, all of that all the time. It was, I never, ever imagined the pleasure, the pleasure I would have. Never, ever, never. It, it's, it's, it's unbelievable, the stuff. And it, as I say, I quickly got out of the, you've got to win all the time because I, un and of course you've got to win, quote, unquote. But it wasn't just about that. Um, we went through a stage here a few years ago. We decided to get external people in in coaching, very good coaches. But they never got the ethos about what the club was about. The club was about, I have 70 kids on a Wednesday, Sam. Of those 70 kids, less than 1% are going to play basketball at 18. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I don't mean to a high level. I mean, 1% are going to play. But it doesn't matter. It's that uh, getting them involved. Then they come back. 
Some of them are coaching. Some of them bringing the kids. We've got three generations of kids at, at Brixton in basketball. Three generations. That's incredible. You know, that's since 1981. So, good. So, what... Um what was your day job then back then if you had a day job the whole time right in uh, in Liverpool I was working <laughs> in Liverpool I was working Ford Motor Company raising funds I used to go around every week everyone in Fords knew me I'd go around selling stuff for selling stuff you know because I sold more than everyone else in the club put together I'd get the winner each week so that was more publicity than me so I'd say you know that was good. everyone in Fords knew Jimmy Rogers basketball with ATAC the club in Liverpool Came down to, and then I got a job. What happened? There was a an investigation into in race relations in the late six, very late sixties, sixty nine, and there was a th an organisation called the Community Relations Relation, uh, Community Relations, which is not race relations. Community relations is about trying to establish good relations in 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 preventing the breakdown of race relations. So they're all these organized, quite liberal in the, in the, in the context. And the, the national, national communications, they sent someone up to Liverpool, the assumption being Liverpool was the perfect city because there was no trouble. <laughs> of course there was trouble, but it had been kept quiet. And um, the only thing that was going in Liverpool for black people, believe it or not, in 1969, was a guy who was running a basketball team, which was quite successful. And it was so successful that in 69, they were beating the police. Now, can you imagine in black talksters, once, twice a year, we'd play the police at their place and ours, and everyone come down and see the big police getting whooped. I mean, it was just incredible. So that was all of that, yeah? And it was, it was incredible. It was incredible. I came down here, formed an organization called New Era, Education and Recreation Association. And one of our objectives was to get a team that was playing the highest, a, a teams playing the highest level. So Brixton, Top Cat, Brixton Basketball Club was formed. And we couldn't think of a name. We could, I know we tried everything. We couldn't think of a name. Brixton, Tigers, Brixton. And there was all these aggressive names. And I didn't want it that, I just knew that that wasn't right. God bless her, 10 year old girl. She said, Jimmy, I've got an idea. What, Bricks and Top Cats? And I don't know if you know about the Top Cats. Ah, you see, that's outside. But in the 50s, there was a very popular cartoon called The Top Cats, which is about these cats, and they used to have a run-in with Officer Dibble, a policeman. It was, it was very funny, it was very funny. And the moment I got it, just said, that's so right. It resonated for me, because it was, I grew up with the police, but it was funny, and the name stuck. So this day, I wonder why, um, uh, who is it in, in uh, states in Hollywood, have not been on to us and say, oh, whoa, whoa, because, you know, but no one has. And it's, it resonated beautiful. Now, it's a, a beautiful name, Top Cats. Yeah, yeah, So look up, look up Top Cats. It's hilarious. They're always taking the mickey out of this policeman, Officer Dibble. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to look it up. What, um... So why did you why did you decide to move down to Brixton from Topsteth? Well, <laughs> that's another story. The best team in, in Liverpool by a long shot, um, and then some people came in. With, I had a very good colleague with me, who was a chap from Cheltenham, who complete opposites. He was he. I met him. He just come out of a breakdown. 
He was studying at Manchester, played basketball, and he was living in Liverpool. And he just got out of a breakdown. I didn't know that when I first met him, but we got on like a house on fire. And we were playing at the YMCA, and we got talking. And I said, "Oh, I'm thinking of starting my own team." Blah blah. He said, "Come on, I'll help you." And he was the administrator. He was great. And um, what was the question? I'm sorry. I said, "Why did you? Uh, why did oh, you yes, first yes, move to yes, Bridgeton?" Yes. Um, we were quite successful three years juniors, really successful, and then. We were approached by a chap who wanted to start a professional team. This is the first days of professional basketball. And this guy was a, a salesman and he came with all sorts of crap. <laughs> I won't be, I'll be crying with him, but, but part of his nonsense was, oh, Jimmy, we're going to dress you in this, that, and I went, what? You know, you know that, was, that was what he saw. That was going to sell me dressed in bizarre, outrageous clothes. No chance, I'm my own man anyway. And I decided to leave. I said I didn't trust him, and I left. They went in his Liverpool. Can't remember. They were the first when the first final members found by Lake. Two years later, he was jailed for fraud. So I was right there. I came down here, approached by Palace the day I came down because <coughs> quite a hot commodity as a coat. <coughs> so what was it that made you come down in the first oh, place? Yes. And I just finished my work. I was working for Communications really doing well and I decided and then I took a job with an action research and research the action part of an action research project nationally with young people young black people and that was for three years and I decided to take a break for a year <laughs> financially that doesn't work after two months I went whoa I better get a job and I couldn't get a job in Liverpool so a job came up in Brixton which is managing a housing voluntary housing group in, in, in Brixton and I came down applied and I got the job and I said right and I came down here now in 1980 some you may shock you there was no inner city kids playing basketball at any reasonable level in London I know there was none I went to Palace for two reasons one it was an, every club in London wanted me to come coach every London there weren't many but they were one they were the nearest and my friend Vic Tinsley who'd been over in the States, was back and was coaching. He just left and was going back to the States and I went, so I went to Palace. And for 20 months, Sam, every six weeks, we had a staff meeting. Why you got no black kids? Why you got no black kids? Why you got, I knew the answer, but I kept on and on. 20 months later, they said, okay. And the first black kids they got, the one you know of is Bucknell, Steve Bucknell and Joel Moore. They were the two, they were the two best players. They were the first, two, that was the first group came. But then the attitude started to come out. It was awful. It was, it was, it was terrible. I mean, you've got to remember 980. And I went, I'm not sticking with this. I can't. I can't. I can't. When you're talking about attitudes, you're talking about racism. Attitudes towards black kids. Just, just Bucknell's lot were the cleanest, nicest kids you could ever wish for. They'd been carefully selected. But the attitude was awful. Give an example when I started my own teams in, in 82. 81 we started, in 82 we played in the local leagues. And the girls were playing in Palace one day just before the, our, our training. I'm not going to mention the name of a person. I've got a lot of respect for her. A lot of respect for her. I'm not going to give you a hint who it was. Very well known. You know the person. It's a her. You know her very well. And we're standing watching. She said... They're very good, those girls from Brixton, aren't they? She said. But I hear they're not very intelligent. And I said, on what 
What do you base that on? Now, I know this may sound crude and bad, but that's what it was like. That's what it was like. No evidence whatsoever. The loveliest group of kids you could ever wish. These girls, lovely. Pioneers, it were. All netball girls. All netball girls, yeah. So, I decided to leave. Oh, my goodness me. Oh, when I left Crystal Oh, my goodness me. The, the, the owner threatened me. Well, I wasn't signing a contract. Oh, my goodness me. Within four years, nothing to do with me. No, I swear to God, Sam, nothing to do with me. But in, but in four years, other voluntary, voluntary people with Palace left. And in four years, it sank to oblivion. Gone. It gone. A couple of years later, it came back again. And they came back to play us about two years later. So about six years after they left. 88, 89, we had a super team. Now, can you imagine, Sam? 85, 86. There's no, no inner city kids playing basketball anywhere. There's this guy called Rogers from Brixton. The place was packed. I had every male and female in Of course I had the best players. I mean, <laughs> and them all. We used to get 200 to 250, I swear to God. People come to watch practice on a Wednesday. And games were a roadblock. And they, were road, and they were a great roadblock because the assumption was there's going to be trouble. That's, I understood that from day one. Oh my goodness, when I went, when I went to get interviewed with the, the, the seven disciples in their ties, the England basketball, they all knew me and had respected me and admired me and lorded over me as a player. But suddenly here I was applying for a team in Brixton. And they're going all around the bushes. But I knew the question they were going to ask in the end. One of them says, very well-known guy, good, good basketball guy. He said, Jimmy, you going to have any white kids? I said, well, I think so, but most of them be black because it's, it's Brixton, you know, blah, blah, blah. Is there a problem? I said, and he said, well, I said, well, all our opponents are white. What's the problem there? And I was really ridiculing them. So that was what, they wouldn't let me have, have a men's team. They wouldn't let me have a boys' team. They said, boys and girls, men and women only. Fun and game started when I, I got a junior team with the twins, and uh, the Baker twins and Bailey. Bailey's the best player I ever had by a long, long shot. Andrew Bailey by a long shot, honestly. By a long, long shot, really, really. And... They quickly became friends with all the basketball players their age, including my own stepson, who was up in Liverpool, who was playing for Manchester. The same Manchester which dominated and still dominates in terms of numbers. I was politically I wasn't too happy because they're based in Moss Side, but there are no black kids coming there. They recruit black kids from outside. John John uh, what's his name? The guy who went in the NBA. John John Michi. Michi, yeah, he but he wasn't from Moss Side. My son was from my husband was from Liverpool. So I was sending the twins and a kid called Jason Smith to the States that summer for a basketball camp experience. Just an experience. Get it, you know, get feeling from the States. And my own stepson, Leo, rang me up and he said, Oh, he said, I'd love to go with him. I said, Okay, I'll pay for you. I said, I rang up, rang up Manchester and I said, the Manchester were at the time were in bed with Manchester United. Manchester United club, Manchester United at the basketball club. But I rang up the coach, knowing well, the coach in charge, and I said, look, I said, um, you know Leo's with you, blah, blah, it's mine. 
I'm selling three kits to the States. I'm sending my own stepson. Is there any chance of a contribution? And they said, Leo hasn't got a future in basketball. So I told his mother, and she said, you're furious, my partner. She was furious. Out she came. He, he straight down to London within a week. He was down in London. He was 17 years of age, 16, 17 years of age. Then the fun and game started. You won't believe this, Sam. This is what it was like. They wanted a transfer fee. Because <laughs> the rule said you could. Oh, yes. Sam. So what would happen? Manchester, all these kids, they went to come to study in London. They used to pay transfer fee. And I said, I'm not paying a transfer with my own stuff. You're mad. So I rang up McIlvenny, the top sports journalist in this country, who I knew was a Manchester United. He was in with the Manchester United. And I said, look, my name's Jimmy Rogers, blah, 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 blah. And they got onto Manchester and said, this is going to look bad. As a result of that, that stopped, stopped the whole transfer to the juniors. That was what was going on. Yeah. Leo came down, we entered the National League Juniors. Have a guess if we played in the final. Have a guess what Bailey and my son did to them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So when, when you um, set up the Top Cats, what was your kind of ambition or vision for the okay. future for the club? Like, what, what, did you, okay. what did you hope for it to evolve into? Honestly, hand on heart, when we set up New Era, and it's still, for me... I wanted to challenge the negative myths about Brixton. If you think they're bad now, they were horrific. Up till about four years ago, black parents in London, in South London, would ring me up and ask, do you practice anywhere at Brixton? Black parents, that's how bad it was. It was awful, it was just the attitude. And I live here. And that was like Toxas where I lived. It was a certain, or even Toxas where so it was to change, challenge and change that attitude. And I tell you, at games, it was lovely because economic worked economically. We're playing the better teams in the National League. They'd come to Brixton, we're going to have props. So they'd bring masses of them. There was never a problem, never a problem. But psychologically, Sam, you've got to remember, these are people who've never seen a group of black people. Imagine walking this place full. Can you imagine it? Never, never, never any trouble. Music, Freddie giving it love. Freddie was hilarious. And to give you an example how funny and good Freddie was, I was so focused on the games, I never saw him. But afterwards, I'd do the stats. And then, we didn't have a stats man, I'd have to do it. But, and I'd say, who's that guy? <laughs> He was hilarious. He'd run up the wall and do all sorts when a three-pointer scorer done. He was a brilliant basketball commentator. For, uh, he's amazing. Then he gets taken. Then uh, London Leopards say, we want him. And the first thing they did when they got him, said, you can't do this and you can't do that. And they were paying him astronomical money. But he couldn't do anything. So, yeah, yeah. So then... Sorry, would so you... that was, that was, uh, my first objective was that, to, to try and change it. Then it was to try and, and see if we could get kids to achieve their objectives, and we started sending kids to the States. Now, I think I mentioned to you that all the recruits in the States were bl are black, because they've got to go to the black communities. And every kid we sent had the right attitude, the right work ethic and a positive attitude towards education. Everyone, that was our that was our criteria. And how do you instill that 
when you were only working with them during the basketball hours? Well, you know, it took time. It took time because I had to write to the parents. I had to get to the parents. Sam, today, check around the clubs in this country, in London. They don't speak to the parents. I find that mind-boggling. I'm taking seven, eight, nine, ten, forty, and I don't have time to speak to the parents. That's that's it's outrageous to me. It is. It was. It was talking to the parents, letting them know I'm supplementing and complimenting you. I've got no right to discipline your child. No right. It's not your child. But together we'll do it. You know. And of course, you know, it's the old argument: if they're unreliable off the floor, they're going to be unreliable on the floor. So it's the same lessons, the same lessons. And after a while, it spreads. Parents to tell parents. A new parent comes in on Wednesday, someone's in there talking about, and they go, my goodness me, 70 kids, look at this. And I'm talking to some other parent. I'm not, I don't go on the floor. I do not go on, unless we're short staff. I don't go on the floor. I'm just talking to parents all the time. You know, but you've got to do it. So they get it, and then now they ring up and say, oh, I've heard good things about the club, and blah, blah, blah. I said, yes, come now, you'll realise, you know, you're going to work hard. All he's going to do when he goes home, they come to camp next week, eat, sleep, and do the, that's all they're going to do. They're going to slide and go home, sleep. And they love it. They love it, because it's new, it's very new. It's very new for a lot of these kids. And it's economic. It's got to be, because one of the, my biggest beefs, in fact, it's the biggest beef for Mazak, Kid to now. I was selected for the GB squad. Tinge and I were going to be the, together with Bill in Scotland, Bill, 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 Bill. McInnes. great player, great guy. We were going to be the team that really made some headway. And England basketball or GB or whatever it was wrote to all the companies we were with, I was a pause at the time, and said, will you sponsor your employee for the qualifying thing. And the only one who wouldn't was Fords. And the day after I got the letter to say Tins and I weren't, Ford had the nerve to send their own PR down to take a photograph. And they would, it's just, I said, get away, get And I'd bust, bust his camera. <laughs> so, you know, some story, interesting stories, but it was, it was, it's the hypocrisy. That, the two things that really I'm angry about no child should pay to play for England at this spot. Not in this country. Not now. Not now. Not now. I'm sorry, Sam. They shouldn't. Now, in the earlier days, I would have, they'd ring me up and say, oh, the Baker twins, they're a bit small. And I said, well, have a look at them. And he rang me up to the first session. I'm making one of them the captain. The skill. All the kids, I mean, that's some terrible stuff they went through. Amiko Atete, we had a kid called Amiko Atete. Very dark black kid, a very dark black African, African parents. And the coach spent <coughs> all the time talking about the, going for trials, lecturing them about the responsibility of playing for England and looking at Amiko, who A was black and B from Brixton. And taught them all, just ignore it, keep a straight face, don't get into it, blah, blah, blah. And he, he, then they used to have a try England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. So they used to have that kind of thing in Ireland, Scotland, England, or Wales, wherever. This was in Scotland. And they didn't start Amico any of the four games. He was top rebounding the team by a long shot, top rebounding the whole tournament, and never started any one game. That kind of thing was going on. 
And but what I said to them was, you go there, you play hard, you never step out of line, never step. You step out of line, you're letting the club down, you're letting yourself down, and blah 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 blah. And this is going, this is going on. So all the kids, and this is a, this is the hypocrisy of it, because our kids were so disciplined, Sam. That's me, and it's also the club, and it's also what we're about. The environment here. Never ever answer back. No way, not not allowed. If a, if anyone got a technical, the first five seasons. Anybody got a technical that didn't play for six games? No, because I knew and they were supposed to lose. Sam, think about it. They were supposed to lose the tournament. And some of the referee here, not away here, was out. Don't lose your temper. Did, did you ever get a technical as a coach? I got technicals for days as a player. Younger, before I went to Germany, Sam, I did everything. I'm ashamed to say I did everything as a player. So you learn the hard way. Every, never, never, never. Stepping outside the box twice, but that was just referees being awkward. Never, ever. We had a young man in here one day. The guy slapped him and said, Marcus, Marcus, you put his hands up like that. I said, Marcus, don't do three times. And he never, I was so, that's the proudest moment in this club. In there, put his hands up, hit him three times, and he never struck him back. You, I knew, and they were waiting for one incident. Sam, that's the kind of discipline it was. I was brutal, partly because of my ex, but I knocked them out. Do you so, feel like Brixton had a an unfair reputation? Oh yeah, um, and there's nothing I could do about that. You know. The, the media, Brixton, Blacks at the time, of course. So it was inevitable. It was inevitable. It was night and night day that we were going to get it. It was. It was. I was just. I was disappointed with the both men. I was disappointed with the women. I was gutted when it happened with the younger ones, not the juniors on the minis. I disgusted at first, but now you look forward. You look ahead now. How many clubs have you got in London? How many clubs have you got in London? 70, 70, 80? Too many. Over 70% of them ex-Brixton people. So, you know, you know, force us too many. Yeah, yeah, but, you know. Um, but the, it was, and it was, it was, it was, I had some, some stories here. This, off the record, off the record. I'm, Nah, no, I better not use it. I better not use that word. Please. <laughs> I was going to say it's going to be hard to be off the record. We're recording, so it will yeah, be on. Yeah, it would be on. It's, it's not good this one. Some, some, oh my goodness me! Some of the stories here. I used to dread coming over here for the games. I used to dread it. Double bookings. Double bookings. Biggest game of our history. Manchester. Four coach loads come come down from Manchester. We had to cancel it. It's <laughs> double booking. Oh, yeah. And I'm imagine what a fool I'd made look like. And you get told that we fought to the book. What? Anyway, so all of that, but all the referees, the top referee, Al Richardson was probably the top referee. He used to tell them all, said, when you go, to, you'll enjoy it. And they did, because it was a buzz. Never one incident in all the years. It was amazing. Not one. Because I was very, very strong on that. Very, very strong. No, 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 no. How would you compare... Um, how Brixton was perceived back then to how it's perceived now? It's 
It's better now, it's still not right. I think it's fair to say there are still people who would believe that, you know, you're going to get mugged, your wife, daughter's going to get raped, and all of those things. I'm sure there is an element of that. Um, <coughs> we've had parents from as far as Chessington. I'm going back now maybe eight, nine years. Group of four used to come from Chessington. Mum, dad, and the four kids. One, two. One, two, three kids. They used to come from Chessington, and they were... You know, I, the first time they came in the gym, they were absolutely pet. I could see it. I said, look, don't worry. And they came to camp over the summer. And by the third day, they began to re relax because they realized all those vendors out there, they know, they know, they know you come to basketball. And they'd look out for them. Oh, you come to basketball, are you all right? They could see they were frightened. And they did, in the, yeah, so that, was, that changed. But that was once they were in here. Lots of kids don't come here because it's discipline. Lots of kids don't come here because they have to pay something. Lots of kids don't come because I'm an authoritarian. Lots of kids don't come because, oh, no, no, Brixton, you, you're bound to be trouble. I swear to you, Sam, you come in here any Wednesday or Friday, be the what on the, on the wall, fly on the wall. You'd never hear those kids swear. Not by me, never. Not here, not honestly. Now, that's been cultivated. That's been cultivated. So, you know. Do you remember the sort of, uh, like, do you think the Brixton community embraced the club from the start? No, not from the start. No, no, there's quite a lot of jealousy. Inevitable, inevitable. Uh, a lot of the people who worked in the centre were from the community. How does he get all these kids so disciplined? How, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 100 people here. How, how come? So that was, a, I understand that. I, I didn't realise at the time. But I understood it when it happened, I went, oh, well, yeah, you know. Um, and the other thing, when I came down here, Sam, I came down in 1980. When I, here's a story for you. I came down in 1980, there was an organization in, an organization in Lambeth called Mazda, Muhammad Ali Sports and Development Association. And the, Ali had been down, I thought it was incredible. It didn't last. It didn't last. And historically in our community, all sorts of things have happened over the years, all through, all over the world. But historically, for all sorts, all the reasons we've talked about, they don't, they don't, they're not sustainable for whatever reason. And I'd like to think if there's a legacy, the legacy's long after Rogers is gone, hopefully this thing will still be going. That's what I would like to think. Whether it is or not, I don't know. That's dependent on whether we get enough people coming in. I want to help out. I want to do something. And there are there's lots of people. There's lots of people out there. You know it, Sam. There's lots of people in any community who don't know they've got skills. They've got something to offer. Who not, not necessarily know they like basketball, but they do you know, whatever. Yes, you get the parents whose child's in there. Yeah, there's always that. But it's the others and outside that. And, you know, all our stuff are voluntary. I, no, really voluntary. Really voluntary. How do you think, what do you think has been the secret to the club's longevity and sustainability? Um, you know, how, how do you survive every year? How do you fund the club? Kind of what goes on behind the scenes in terms of the admin? Okay. Therein, uh, two, prob two, prob two issues. One, we've had, the last two chairmen have been very good administratively. Excellent. Andy Powerslint who's now with Liverpool Football Club <laughs> and, uh, and, and the Football Academy. He's the manager there, uh, the, the business manager. 
and Steve Beer, who's with the is with the Luolding Foundation. Both they were both administratively strong, so that was their strength. But again, you volunteer. We've never paid for a stamp, never paid for an envelope, never paid for quota copying. You know, you know, you know. So because in the early days, in the early days, we got some sponsorship. We had a really good relationship with a who I can't remember the name of the of the of the trust now. Fantastic. And then I had to go them one time when we were in trouble, financial trouble when we were in the National League. We had Americans them. We had to make we had a commitment to them. And they said, here you are, and they gave me a vast sum of money. So we're not going we can't give you any more again. And it, was, it saved us for that season. My initial chairman was a guy a, a man called Courtney Griffiths, who was Britain's first black QC. And he's read his resignation. I read his letter just before I came over today. In his resignation letter, resignation letter, he said, "I feel we are going down the path of, um, of, of, of what was it? Winning, game, winning at all costs, and we're going to be bring, spending money on bringing Americans in." And I disagree with it. And I was shattered when he left. I was up because he wrote our cons he wrote our constitution. I was shattered. To give you an idea how good the constitution was, I took a lamp and said, who wrote this? We'd never had a constitution like that before. They didn't want to accept it. No reason why they shouldn't, but yeah. But, and I, I was shattered when he left. I thought about it and I put it to our committee then, which was quite an active committee, women. And uh, they said, I said, if we go down this route, blah, 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 blah. If we, and we had a really good American player, woman, really good, really good, six for six, really good. And they voted with them and said, okay, we don't have any. From that moment on, we never had any more Americans and we decided. And I'll tell you, the other thing is, we, um, I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not, um, don't get me wrong, I'm not, um, Whatever I am, I'm not a person going to... I mean, I think about it. In the BBL, you've got to raise all this money every year. Oh, man. Man. I'm good. That's what you want to do. But that takes away from your basketball. Um, <coughs> can you have both? I guess you can. But there's been lots, there's lots of sharks. As you know, there's lots of sharks around. And I've had some sharks. Oh, my goodness me. I've had some sharks here. I've had some sharks. Mainly American. Black and white. Oh, I've had some shots trying to get over this club. And they didn't want me. They wanted this club for five minutes. Some well-known people. I'm, I don't want to mention names. I'm sure you know one of them. Well-known. They just wanted a piece. Get a piece of money. Off they went in the sunset. And I knew that. And we didn't want that. Because the club would, you know. And I think psychologically, Sam. I honestly believe psychologically. If an, org if an, if an organ like... Bricks and top cats is was to fall. Oh well, there you go. It's inevitable. I believe that. I really believe that. You're still going. You're, wow, wow, wow. We charge very small, very small amount for kids to come here. Next week we got camp. We'll have sixty, seventy a day. You only charge six pound because now you got the middle classes coming in. We got about four years ago it started. We had um, what they call them when you look at the kids. Um, Daycare. No, 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 no. When you, when you, when you, uh, 
a, a well-to-do family employs someone to look after oh, the nanny. kids. Not a nanny, a re- same thing, the au pair. Uh, au pair, yeah. <laughs> au pair's coming out. Wow! Great. <laughs> you know, but the same token, by the same token, you know, the, the parents come in and they go, wow, only six pounds. What's going on here? And I know they go and look and say, Mummy, no one uses language here. I know, I know those things. Are, I know it's important. It's really important. So, so now is the is it just kids subs that pretty much fund all the the entire operation? Nobody, honestly, nobody gets paid. No, I know it sounds crazy. Yeah. So you can manage on that. Now, if we go into the national league again, which we will do, men and women, we'll have to raise that money. It's not a lot. Okay, it's not a lot in terms of you know you've got to find travel, blah blah blah, insurance, uh, registration, all that kind of thing. So it's not a lot to raise, but you can do that. You can have a couple of fundraisers. A time. I remember when we first started, going back 1982, had a fundraiser, and I said, right, we're going to have a fundraiser. Everything. Now, this might sound nothing to you now. We raised three grand. We had a dance, just a dance. Didn't pay for the hall, didn't pay for the stuff, didn't pay for the... Food, didn't pay for the three grand. Amazing, everyone, wow! And then they were mind-boggling. And we announced it that night. And it can be done, can be done. Yeah, we could raise 10 grand now with a night. I believe that, honestly, you know? You still charge spectators to come watch, no, or, or do you do still? Well, we got, a, I don't know what happened then. I mean, maybe you could enlighten me. Steve told us that the BBL women, they weren't charging because um, they wanted people to start coming to the games. Well, we found out later that wasn't quite true. And that's why it stopped. But if we go into the BB, if we go into not BBA, if we go into the National League again, we will do. When we got our kids coming through again as juniors, as seniors, we will do. But you'll get it very minimal. Well, why do you think it is that um, you know you spoke about when you first got here and you were having you know hundreds of people coming to watch practice and and coming to the games and stuff? Why do you think it is that the community doesn't support the, the senior seniors when you used to have them as much? That is a difficult one, Sam. That is a difficult one, I think. You run an event once a year, very well supported. I think it's great. There's a couple of others. There used to be Rough and Ready, Midnight Man, not so much. Well, there, there were events that were very popular with the kids. Problem with the Midnight Madness, and I'm not sure if it's the same with yours, but certainly with the, with the Rough and Ready and the Midnight Madness, there's only basketball people coming. And what we haven't been able to do in this country, but I blame the press for that. I blame us for not educating the press. I really do. We've not edu- we've failed to educate the press. And I say, 31% of last Sunday, Sunday Times sports section was about rugby. No one plays rugby, come on. No one plays in the world. No one who plays, it doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter how good England becomes and wins the five and six nations or whatever. It doesn't matter. They're not fooling anybody, really. And um, so the, the link I'm digressing slightly. The link that England basketball has with Sport England, Sport England controls what basketball does in this country, in my opinion. In my opinion. They say what you can do and what you can't do. That's my opinion, not maybe a bit whatever. And I burn it's the establishment. It's the establishment. It's a very good book, and I'm going to try and get the title and get it to you. Written by a black, black, born in England but raised in America. Why cricket? I can't remember the title of the book. If I can get it, it's a fantastic book because it shows you how sport developed in this country. The first sport in this country was cricket. 
in the 17th century. And the first sponsors were gamblers. Hello! Oh yeah, cricket! Cricket! The first three sports that went into what is now Sport England, it used to be called England Sports... No, what was it before Sport England? I can't remember the name. Before Sport England, it was called something else. And the first three sports, first four sports, tennis, rugby, cricket. Those three, tennis, cricket and rugby. And to this day, top man is a tennis, cricket, So it's a, it's be, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, I believe passionately it's a, it's a, it's about the establishment sports. Come on, come on, no, sports too. And it's not, you know, the myth, it's the myth that they put out, oh, well, it's, it's an American sport. That's what they said, it's all over the world. It's an American sport. We lost the chance in the Olympics. Oh, Sam, it hurt my, it, it broke my heart. What they did before the Olympics with the men's team, and in the Olympics, the man, one of the weak link to coaching this country, managing a game. We were less than 30 seconds, we're five points up the women. Hello, come on. Come on, Sam. But I could say, you could, you could, there's no prep. You, I don't blame any one of those girls. There was no preparation. There was none at all. It's an art, it's a skill. Part of managing, part of coaching basketball is managing a game. And I, it broke my heart when the women's team were, France, I mean, God blimey, one of the top powers. Five points up, less than 30 seconds, and we've got the ball. You, and we lost badly. In the end, we lost by about three. Oh, went over time, I think. Oh, oh. So in terms of the, 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 the crowds, why oh, yeah, yeah. do you think do you think it's a cultural thing that is changed over the years where back in the day the community was just there was maybe less things to do or less distractions so they were willing, more willing to embrace the team like what do you think that's changed that's, that's made it harder to to raise support pioneers. i didn't realize it we were pioneers here we are here's a black ostensibly a black organization it wasn't all black but just a black guy in charge in brixton and they're really good. They're really good and attractive good as well. And clean. And very, very clean. Very, very clean. Very clean. There's a lot of all that goes on, drugs and, you know, women are like, not here, not here. No, that, that we used to call them, what did you call them? I can't remember the name, we used to call them, the bunnies. Couldn't come here and start pulling these guys. American orange, no, 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 the girl, not here. It's very, very clean. And I think that for that reason, and it was the very first thing, and wow, wow, I think it was that. So that element, now, I don't, I don't subscribe to the view that you should have that. That's the, that's the way in which you should go forward because at the end of the day, now certainly in Brixton, there's a, a, new, a, new, a, new, a new, new crowd in town. I've got money, you've got money. But I don't know. I, I, <coughs> I think we've got we've got some we've got answers to the press we've got it's our fault we haven't managed to persuade the press you know you watch again you know every, every night in my life every night in my life I do two hours of music and watch basketball usually college every night of my life every night of my life 
And the cameramen in the States, the cameramen, the so-and-so, they're all basketball people. Do you know, you know how the deal is with BBC? They've got a, this is how you, go, this is how you do basketball. Just the same game, and you watch it, done by the Americans and done by the English, or done by the Europeans, done by the English. Totally, what's that about? Can you see what I'm saying? So there's a lot of, I don't know, I don't know, Sam. If you, if you, if Steve gets a, a center and he manages, you can get a lot of money and says, look, we'll do it this way. I mean, Sky could have done it at one stage, but they, 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 they were paying them, weren't they? I think they were, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's very frustrating because now, today, somewhere out there, someone can get all of this game. I love this game, and they get into it. Beginning, it's going over and over. It's just, that cycle of, of passion. That is, oh, it's a shame. I guess see kids now. Remember seeing a kid from over uh, East London, East East. What they call it over Essex? What's the place over there? The club over there? Leopards. The Leopards. No, not the not the the the, uh, the academy. The oh, Barking Abbey. Barking Abbey. I saw this kid. He's 16, 17. Mixed around. I went, Ooh, what? 16. I went. Wow, this, and I talked to the coach, and he said, oh, he's I thought, lovely, six through three, light skin, mixed race, kind of that. he's going to be something, told his coach, right attitude, Jimmy, blah, 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 it's great. I saw him the next year, your thing, the first time, yeah, and I went, gone. How, how did it, you know? How, how do you think the, the attitude of young players has changed um, from when you first started the club to oh, today? I mean, uh, you talked to Ambrosius father was the first player I taught, his father. So the son, the one you met, uh, he was talking about only the day on the phone, he said, oh, he and his, his he had a, he was a scorer, he, God, he could score, oh my goodness, he could score. And Sean was the best player at that level we had. Sean was a captain under 17s. And they were, were talking together with me and they said, oh, this is the kids, I don't know what it is. And I, one of the things, I, when I grew up, I always said, I'm never going to say, oh, in my day we did so-and-so. But you think that way. Unfortunately, you do. More things, I guess. I don't, I don't more, there's more things out there. There's an internet. I get kids come to me. I've never seen them before at 14. Say, right, where do you play? Oh, I haven't played here, but I've learned from the internet. <laughs> and then you, you get, my 40, shooting's my 40. Shooting's my fault. It was about two years ago, no one could shoot the ball better than me in the club, ever. It's about two, my legs have gone now, they're gone. But still, I go out and give the lesson. And he said, but, 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 and I said, okay, what? I like to do this. I say, well, okay, I want you, do you accept that I want you to shoot the ball exactly the same way every time you shoot the ball? Yes. If you want, if you want to do that, you've got to be able to measure it. So if your foot are facing that way, as opposed to straight, how far that way? Trying to get it to, no, no, I've always done it. And they'll always do it and then they can't shoot. And two years later, so. <coughs> I don't know, I don't know. I think a lot of kids, a lot of boys and a heck of a lot more girls actually don't believe they can do it. They want to, but they don't believe it. They don't, they don't conceive it. Or, I, don't know, I don't know what they don't believe. I could go with it. I could. I could make a niche playing Division 2 or, you know, if I work hard, I can... I, they don't say that. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know. So that's changed now. 
I'm from an age where I don't know because I'm not from that age. I've talked to some of the younger coaches now. It's just, it's just different because it's different. I mean, what do you think? I mean, I'm sorry, not for now, but I want you to think about it. I don't know. I don't know. Promising kids. I think a lot of them get gobsmacked when they go to the States. A lot of them get gobsmacked. Got really gobsmacked at the ability, at the talent there is. Um, and the, oh, I had a, a very interesting young man. I can't remember his name now. I used to coach over at White City on a Saturday morning. This kid came, he was 11. I went, wow, he's going to be good. But he would always come after we'd done the stuff just to play. And I got lost in my temper with him one day. I said, look, I'm not going to let you play if you don't come to in the early part of the session. But it was, you know, it was run by the school. It was free for there. They paid me 12 pounds or something crazy an hour and two hours or three hours on a Saturday. And he left. Never saw him again. And he turned up until he was playing for, he's playing for, I can't remember who he's playing for, but he ended up really, really good. Really, really good. And he came to see me about three years ago, two years ago, and he said, Coach, I want to thank you. And I said, Why? He said, I'm going to the States. And I said, Well, where are you going? He's going, Junior, college, division three, whatever, it doesn't matter, Montana. Blah, blah, blah. He said, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart because it took, I remembered the stuff you told me and now I realise. When he came back, he was back here the first week on the Wednesday. We have a run open one on a Wednesday every, in the summer and they all come. He said, oh my goodness me, so much of what you told me. He said, it's so true. I wished, I wished, I wished. I said, well, you can still look. He said, but it's hard now, it's hard. I said, yeah, yeah. No, lovely kid, lovely kid, lovely, really nice, so small, really good. And if he'd applied himself a little bit, he could have done really, really well. Because he's got a big heart, big, tough, mentally tough as well. But, as you say, I, I mean, I'd, I'd be interested to know how the kids feel about Bucknell, how they feel about Deng, how they feel about Johnny Meach. I'd be interested to know, seriously, what they think, seeing them, what they think about them. I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I, I think one of the things missing in terms of creating a British basketball culture is the fact that a lot of kids don't look up to those guys and almost don't really know what they've done. Um, obviously, well, Bucknell, Bucknell never played here until he was past it. You know, and he come back. He said, "Oh, gee, I said, Steve, you, you should have been doing it because me and Steve never got on well when we when he when he went to the states." He was from Palace, and I was there, and yeah, never got on well because he'd come home to show me how good he was. He'd have all the Bailey's <laughs> upset everybody <laughs> in the summer. So he never got on well. But after when he started his own club, then he realised. Then he realised. He said, wow. Yeah. So, and I said to him, Steve, I said, if you'd come back here, at least played in the summer, and people, they would have known, but they didn't know, they didn't know. And they can look at him, it's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. I find it hard to believe kids don't look up for people like Magic and, and Bird. I find it very hard, but they don't. They don't. LeBron's, the, that's it. And they go, wow. So, you know, um, so they, they missed out on that. I mean, <laughs> I think in Deng's case, I mean, what he's doing super is he's got kids from Sudan in Australia. Piling into the into the into the college and, and the NBA. Oh, there's droves of them. There's about twenty of them. Really good. I mean, great. But English basketball. Oh my goodness me. The men's team at one stage. The men's. I thought was going to be. I really thought three years before the Olympia. I thought, wow. 
and then they couldn't get the other American, they, they didn't they want to pay the money for him. And they, do you hear the story about trying to get the money for him? Who are we talking about? Ben Gordon. Ben Gordon, whatever. It's someone from... Someone from... No, about Deng initially, about his, his, his um, insurance. insurance. And they got some... Sir Malcolm so-and-so from the English Olympic bar 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 committee. <laughs> Bring up the uh, Chicago jail boy. My name's Doug. How about... <laughs> Piss off, you know. Those days are finished, you know. So there was that kind of thing. I thought it was a shame. I thought that team... And the first player they dropped was the, the guy who should have been in that. First player on the team should have been. Dang, everyone said it. Kid we had was an unbelievable. They were giving a story of him. What was his name? He went to school in Philadelphia. In the Philadelphia, you've got St. John, St. Joe's, Penn, Penn, or Penn State, Penn. Can't remember which one. What are the schools in, 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 in any of this? LaSalle. He went to LaSalle. His first game, LaSalle, as a freshman, they loved him because he was all defense. He was all that was all, he couldn't shoot to save his life. And his first game was against St. Joe's, who had a player who's just finishing now finishing his, his his prime in the NBA. Short guy plays at Jermaine Nelson. Him. Now Jermaine Nelson in college was off the scale. He was off the scale. One of my favourite players in college was Jermaine Nelson. His first game was against Jermaine Nelson. Jermaine Nelson had 28 points and said, who is that guy? He's that good. He came back here for the rough and ready or whichever it was. Not a guard could get the ball over the halfway line. Not one of our English guards. They couldn't get it over there. This guy was amazing. Amazing. And he was in the team and, and Luar, Luar said, Look, make sure. He said, oh yeah, and he should say to go. We've got to have him in. This guy can stop anybody. He's so good. He's so good. He's so focused on his defense. Beautiful. And he dropped him. And I thought, oh, that's it then. And, you know, you know, shame, shame. I thought that team was really good. It could have been, but politics came in the way. And, you know, shame. Well, it's hard to talk about Brixton without obviously talking about Luol. Sure. Um, so I think it's a, it's a good place to... Uh, to ask you a little bit about kind of your early memories of him when he first came to the club and kind of any stories and memories that stick out. Yeah, easy going, really easy going guy. Uh, he says, he says I used to shout him when I first when he first came. I don't remember that, and he left. I remember he leaving. I'm like, as it happens all the time. He's back about two weeks later. He said, um, and he told me later. He said to his dad, "I'm just going to do what I asked." So we did that easy. Very easy going. Never, he might have been behind, the, behind me back, but never rude to me about decisions or anything. And I used to, so you got to work hard, Luol. And it was my colleague, it was my colleague, Jabal, who said, oh, he's going to be better than his brother. And I didn't see it. You know, sometimes you don't see it, doesn't it? And, uh, but he was really, really up for it. And I spoke to his coach, Joe Montagna, I said, you're getting a kid who's going to give you 150%. And he kept ringing me. He said, my goodness me, this kid is something else. He said, he's about five every morning, five o'clock every morning, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, he's driven, driven. Oh, my goodness. And they had Villanueva, uh, or whatever his name is. He was there at the same Villanueva, time. Villanueva, yeah, Charlie Villanueva. He had the kid who went, who was at Texas, who was a great shooting guard. Zebert, Luol. And Luol was the youngest one. 
and uh, but he was real, and he came back. I couldn't believe. It. I could not believe it when he came back. I could not believe. I could not believe it. I could not believe when he came back after his one year. How much he'd improved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just improved. He went with the England team. Then we had a well-known coach who was coaching the the team in not the Europeans. It was it wasn't. It was, he took the team to Europe. To, I think it's France or to Europe anyway. And he went off the scale. And this guy said he was one of his players. Oh, I went mad. Yeah, and uh, I went mad. I went mad because it gets back to me. And um, he said to me, oh, they're all after me. They're all after me. I said, keep the letters. And he, he was, I wanted to bring them back to show everyone. And the only reason he never won was too bloody many. <laughs> he had two bloody big boxes full of letters. Every college in America wanted him. <coughs> and... Uh, he went to Duke, um, he was re recruited, and he was in, what, MBA, and they interviewed him, he said, uh, oh, he said, uh, you're, you're with Bulls now, he said, was that the hardest, or was it? He said, oh, no, Jimmy Rogers, I don't need them. And they went, who's he? He said, oh, the guy, in oh, he's out of need them. So it was great. I mean, he was, I was so proud for him, so proud for him, you know, that he'd, and it's 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 amazing. It's an amazing story, whichever way you look at it. A kid from England. It's just amazing, and um, you know, and there's the politics. And he tells you the stuff they have to go through, and he said, "Jimmy, you go in there, some guy looking at you. You know, you're taking his job." And he, Argh! so there's all of that. But uh, you know, he's he's been he's been great. He's been great. But LeBron's complaining about playing time. Playing too much, and the world's not playing enough. And they came in together. They came in the league together. But he was, you know, he was the second best player in in high school, behind LeBron. And he said, "I want to try and maintain that." And it, it is difficult. It is for all sorts of reasons. His trade was a shock, big shock. Didn't see it coming as you don't. And the summer before, the season before, I traded him for the first time. Watched the game in the uh, Bulls, and he said to me, "You know, they can trade you any time. You know, and then when they trade." I think I told you, coach. He did, the coach didn't know he was traded. The, I mean, it's that heavy. It's it's. So you know, and I, I wouldn't like to be an NBA player. Honestly, Sam, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You're a player. You're getting vast amount of money. You travel like heck. You better produce, or else others. Was all of that now? You know, after the initial excitement and enthusiasm, it must be difficult. It must be difficult. I mean, it's nice to be difficult with that kind of salary, but you know. So we shall see. We shall see. Obviously, you've had a, a number of other pros come through the club. You know, Justin, or go Matthew, Eric. Um, one lad, one lad, who we were convinced was going to make the NBA before Luol and when Krzyzewski came over here to recruit Luol and we mentioned this guy whose name is I'll remember in a minute can't remember his name he said oh yeah why didn't he go in the NBA we still don't know he was playing at Penn 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 State the Ivy League school you're gonna now you're gonna play for Palace against us as a junior yeah, 27 points and missed 14 rebounds, 14 layup, 14 foul shots, 29 points. We beat them, but 29 points. And I said to him, I think, and I said, look, 
Why don't you learn to take a pound shot? He said, oh, I can easily make them. I said, come on, son, I want you to start making them. I'll never sell them. I'll never go and recruit Never. never. And I won't. I won't. It's wrong. He's been in the club. And he came to me. That uh, that was just before Easter. He came at our camp. So I'm going to try out for the team. So you don't have to try. Just come down here. My goodness me, he worked out. He was very, very intelligent. As a, academically. Mum a bit pushy. Because she was into the academic thing. And she was concerned he was going to lose that. He went to an Ivy League school. Very, very, very intelligent. And he played. He, he made the his team made the 64 round of 64, and they got beat. I think they got beat either in overtime or the buzzer by North Carolina State. And he had 20. He top scored the whole game, the whole first day, the first round. And everyone's convinced. And to this day, he said he just just no, it was the wrong place, the wrong time. He didn't get he didn't get drafted. You know, there's no D League then, and went and played in Spain or is it Spain or Italy? Italy. Had a good, had a good time, had a good period with Neverland, but yeah, you got a very, very good player, really good. I'm aware of time a little bit, so we need to start um, wrapping up. But um, before we do, yeah, I would like to uh, ask: when it's all said and done, what do you want your legacy to be? My legacy, <laughs> uh, that this club maintained and sustained and going forward so kids coming in here know they've got an opportunity to learn something about basketball about the game of life you know you know the thing about winning is an attitude you know all about that don't you no you do tell me oh yeah our philosophy it's from john cheney john cheney was my favorite coach john cheney um john thompson and the, in the mid 80s were saying to the ncaa we're taking kids who've got who've got no qualifications, and we're going to give them a degree. And they both did. They both did. Now they weren't a lot allowed to do it later. But they were taking them. And Cheney, his line was, "I can do what you want. Go what you want. I'll all night do what you want. Five o'clock, five thirty training, or else." He had two first-round draft pick picks. He's got a guy playing for Villanova now, whose son played for him, whose father played for him. And he had another guy who never made it in the NBA. He was a great scorer in college, and who's now—he's not a good coach. But that's another story. And John Cheney's thing was winning is an attitude. Winning about winning the game of life, not the game of basketball. So we say now it's not about winning the game of basketball. It's about winning the game of life. Saying yes to the positive and no to the negatives. That is our philosophy. That is our philosophy. And. I had the honour to meet him a few times, and my goodness, he was really old school. Great, great, great basketball player back in the day when blacks couldn't get in the NBA. A great player, great guard. So his fundamentals was, oh, we drive you nuts. He'd drive everyone, played it, played against him nuts. He'd drive one, played, put him nuts as well. This way or not at all. Had some great players went in the NBA, John Cheney. Finally retired. He, he lost his temper with Calipari because Calipari was cheating him then. Well, sorry, he saw he was cheating then. Yeah, yeah, he lost his temper. Didn't want Hit him. Old school, great, great coach, great, great coach, John, John, um, John Cheney. And he, um, yeah, winning is an attitude. So that's, that's what I'd like to keep, that, that part of it. Um, I don't know. Your relationship with your son is important. I've only just 
got married to the new, new, the new, uh, for the first time, very difficult, very difficult for me, the new uh, management centre, first one ever. Very difficult. Um, you know, I'd like to think that we're going in another 50 years' time, 34 years. I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. The question is whether you've got someone who's happy to, and they're going to get knockbacks, they're going to get, I've had difficulties from the council, big time. Difficulties here in the old days, big time. My community back in the day, big time. Um, and then the obvious, the personal ones of individuals, um, you know, all been very, very difficult. But you just keep going and, you know, I think sustainability is something, after a while people say, wow, he's doing that. Because I get people, you still doing that, Jimmy? Wow. Because, you know, kids who were coming in, we'd see it, we'd see it. And back in, certainly in the early 80s, so it was horrific. It was horrific coming in. I dread, I'm, I'm 287 paces from my house to the cheap station. I'm doing, I'm doing it. Years, 30 odd years. So that's, I'm so it's about double that distance to walk in. I used to dread arriving here and suddenly dread it. Something's happened. The game's put back an hour. Our first season, first five games were all out of, out of London. There's no support. It's horrible. <laughs> so, you know, you, you think, oh, sod it, leave it. No, no. Now, we haven't, someone actually criticised me and said, you haven't written enough about this for the kids to know some of this. The staff know in general because they've, they've been through it now. And I'm not getting as many staff volunteering now as I used to. Again, times change. So we're trying to address that now. But I'd like to think, I'd like to think in 30, 34 years, someone's, Sam's grandchildren son is talking to somebody who's running Brisbane Top Cat here, whether it's here or not. But an interesting, off the record, or maybe on the record, Sam, do you know? And I've only just, it's only clicked in the last six months. All the sports centres that are built when there's been times of strife, i.e. riots, disturbances, whatever you call it, everyone but one has gone. Really? And they want to close it. And this cost 28 million 32 million pounds, the most expensive spawn setter in the country at the time. Oh, I could, oh, don't, don't. The roof's still not been fixed. And everyone, Toxted, they had one in 81, they'd arrived to build what's down, it's gone, finished. Joe White got one over, no, no, oh, they wouldn't even let him play basketball. Oh, it's horrible, oh, terrible, you think, oh my goodness. So we were lucky, and when I was there, and I, you know, I had a really good manager who was South African. Old school South African, black. You can imagine what he'd have to go through with. Brilliant, brilliant administrator. And my God, he, he, he made Lambert sweat over the stuff. We were trying all sorts. We weren't supposed to be around now, Sam. We were not, so, we weren't, no way. I told you. Imagine you go to the council, apply for money. Council, no, no, GLC. Jimmy, this is perfect. Gave me the money. He has, you talk about finance. Sorry, I digress slightly. 84, 83, 84, GLC. Okay, Jimmy, whoa. Gave me 14,000 for six months. The SGA gave me 28,000. It went up 28, 29. It went up yeah, for five years. 
stopped when they closed, handed it to Lambeth, and they handed it to Lambeth, it went down and down and down. Yeah, Lambeth. Supposed to, supposed to collapse, yeah. Supposed to collapse, we were supposed to quit. Lambert. Just got to keep on going, keep yep. on going. But I think that's a perfect place to leave it. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's been much appreciated, and we'll have to get you on for a part two sometime in the future. Thank you. All right, okay. Good, 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 good. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos, and more.